Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. And today we have a conversation with Scott Baldwin, ultra runner, musician, product evangelist, marketer, and community builder. So, hello, Scott. Hey, Yuri. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good and super happy to talk to you. And the first question, Giants killed Patrick. It's actually two questions. What is the story behind and why this name? Oh my goodness. I knew someone was going to ask that question. Um, the story behind it actually is a little bit funny, but uh, and for life of me, I'm going to have to look it up here, Yuri, to kind of remember the guy, but uh, I, I'll tell you the story. I mean, the, the, the TLDR on it, it's pretty easy. <laughs> um, so I, I used to work uh, as a musician professionally. Uh, and for years I worked on the side in between gigs for a music promoter that did large concerts. Mm -hmm. um, they're called Periscope at that time. They're now called uh, Live Nation. They're part of Live Nation as a group. But uh, uh, one of the gigs we did was with uh, the band Midnight Oil from uh, Australia. And one of their sound men was a guy, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name just off the top of my neck, but it's something like, you know, something Fitzpatrick or something like that. With the Australian accent, every time he got yelled at, it sounded like they said "giants killed Patrick," <laughs> and I so I, I I kind of wrote this down once as a band name idea because I just thought it kind of was kind of funny, right? When I found out later that it wasn't really that they were saying "giants killed Patrick," they were saying something else about you know Patrick, and, and it was the sound man. So that that's where the name came about. That's the whole <laughs> I guess the, the journey to the band name. Um, you know, the irony of that is is I have a brother-in-law by the name of Patrick. Um, and so everybody thinks that it's a play on actually my brother-in-law's name <laughs> and some decision that I made, but, but yeah, that's not, the, not the reason for it, but yeah, that's where I came from originally. I, for life of me, I cannot remember the guy's name. Um, I probably can find the article again about him at some point, but yeah. What is the story behind you starting your own band? Um, actually more so kind of maybe a COVID story. I think like part of like being a musician for so many years, working professionally, um, then playing in bands kind of part-time and stuff like that. I kind of started moving away from like the creative endeavors in my work. I get very focused on like work. I kind of forgot about the fun, if that makes sense, outside of that. And so uh, in COVID, I decided to get back to writing music. And it started actually with me buying a little tiny keyboard. I mean, I've got it sitting over here in my, my office. Um, and then it was like, well, you know, maybe I'll... I've got a guitar here my kid used to play. Maybe I'll get a guitar and plug it into my Mac. And then it's like, oh, you know, I could maybe buy this drum set, which is now kind of behind me. And then before I know it was a keyboard, full size. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I think what I did is I was actually at the motion of getting back to creativity. Um, and so that was a missing part of maybe the important side of me that wasn't getting a chance to do stuff anymore. I mean, I kind of moved away from playing in bands. It just wasn't like the, the, the main, you know, passion anymore, or, the, or maybe not even the main income source for that matter. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, this was a kind of a creative outlet. And the time we had a course in COVID would meant we were at home more. There was more time to do things. And so I slowly started recording stuff, put out an album uh, in uh, late 2021. And then I put out a few tracks since then, uh, you know, as I get time and stuff like that. And still, you know, even though it was COVID, we still, like, people still didn't have enough time. So how did you find this time to mix work and fun? Um, you know, it comes in spurts. It's kind of funny. Like, sometimes it'll be like, I'll take just an afternoon on a weekend and just sit down and try to do some stuff. 
Um, the songwriting music kind of process for some people also varies. Some people are just, you get an idea in a moment and you sit down and you start just, you really start writing the, the thing just comes out. It's almost like, you know, an easy sentence, an easy conversation with somebody. It just happens. Right. Yeah, yeah. And other times you kind of struggle with it in bits. You maybe you have like a little snippet that you kind of like, okay, I got something here, but I don't really what I'm going to do with it, but I need to do a bunch of other snippets or maybe even come back to that snippet and retool it a little way bit different way in order to, to get some energy out of it or something like that. I mean, I do a lot of my writing uh, late at night in little bursts. So like my wife likes to take baths. So I might like do it. She's in the bath for a half an hour or 40 minutes, right? Like just something like that. <laughs> like it's like, cause it's like a mental focus, a shift before bed, you know, doing something a little bit different. I'll, you know, dim the lights in here and kind of make it a little more exciting or interesting to be kind of in the space and kind of feel like warm and, uh, you know, kind of in the vibe or whatever. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun process, you know, the music writing process. It's really creative. It's really, sometimes your energy comes from something else, from a different song, from something you heard, just something you had kind of rattling around in your head. Um, and uh, yeah, I try to lean into that whenever I can. That's exactly what I wanted to ask, because as far as I understood, like you have to have an inspiration and like to start doing it immediately. And yeah, but... Yeah, I mean, like some people do that lots of different ways too, right? I mean, they might, the inspiration might have been another song they were listening to. And it's yeah. like, you know, like maybe they're, as they're listening to that song, they're hearing like another part that, you know, the artist isn't doing in that song. And it's like a different melody or something like that, that they feel like, and then they, you know, sit down and write it down and away they go and they have a whole new song, right? Um, sometimes that's just, uh, I don't know, maybe it's the sun shining on your face or like a friend you ran into or like, you know, a, a cool, cool moment in your life or something like that you want to reflect on. There can be all kinds of different things that sort of, you know, drive that sort of inspiration. Do you have any weird moment when inspiration came to you? Weird moment. Hmm. I don't know if that I've had a weird moment. I think like, I mean, maybe the, the stranger place, maybe I write music is probably more in the car. Uh -huh. Um, you know, sometimes like driving somewhere, it's like, you know, tapping on the steering wheel and it's like, oh, like, oh, and then I'll pull out like the Apple music clips app and start recording something while I'm like, I'll pull over the side of the road and record something quickly just to get it out of your noggin. Like that, that's probably the weirdest, I guess. I don't know. Like long runs sometimes can be another place maybe where those might happen. But, you know, generally speaking, I'm kind of probably more zoned out in some of those than anything. We will definitely talk more about long runs. Yeah. But for now, let's start from the beginning. Tell me more about your parents. Who are they? Uh, what do you want to know about my parents? Like their names, you mean? Like who are they? Like yeah, so so my my parents are both. Uh, I guess you could say retired, which is nice. Uh, they're <laughs> at that age. Um, my uh, father lives in one province over in Alberta, um, and uh, he used to be. Uh, a police officer. He used to be a, a, a private investigator. He worked as a, a person running his own company. He was very entrepreneurial, very independent, um, which was kind of fun to see in his later part of his life. Um, and uh, my mother has been uh, living in Mexico for about the last, I don't know, I guess 20 years. Um, she's I think uh, fairly independent as well on that side, um, you know, being English speaking and moving to a country like Mexico and learning Spanish and having to do all that transition was kind of interesting. But uh, 
she works part-time as a esthetician, like running her own business and stuff like that as well. So I think that's sort of the entrepreneurial spirit of things are kind of uh, somewhat embedded maybe in my parents a little bit. And, you know, they both come from very challenging life backgrounds. So I think they've also been able to kind of push through the difficulties um, and come out, you know, with pretty successful lives on the other end of it. And obviously like, you know, me and my, my brother as well on that side, I guess being a, you know, kind of a, a great output as well. <laughs> Have you ever been afraid of your father being a police officer? Uh, no, because I think I was too young okay. when my dad was a police officer. If anything, actually, I was probably young enough. It was like the classic, like, um, maybe looked up to police officers, like kind of in that sort of respectful, cool way. Like I remember, you know, I got pictures of me with like <laughs> wearing my dad's police outfits when he was doing training and, you know, stuff like that. Like it was, but yeah, I, I, I mean, probably if I was older and maybe if my dad had been in more, uh, you know, difficult times in terms of his police work, it, it might've been a little bit different. Maybe I might've viewed that differently, but I think I was just, you know, you're young at that stage. It's kind of a, a, a parent figure in the first place is always compelling and interesting, but also like a parent in an authority position of sorts, you know, that's like a uniform. It's like, wow, that's really cool. You got a police car and a microphone and a, you know, like all this kind of like, there's all this neat stuff, right? Like, you know, like they, those days they had a big flashlights and, you know, like all the kind of stuff. Like it was really very kind of intriguing more than anything, I guess you could say on that side. I've just recently watched the Spider-Man through the metaverse uh, yeah. not, not metaverse, but through the universe, not metaverse for sure. And it was fun when uh, Miles had also dead a police officer and he drove him to the school like, I love you, tell me that I love you. So yeah. did your father ever drive you to school in the police car? Uh, you know, I, I don't remember that if he did. He probably did at some point, but I don't remember that ever. Um, I do remember a time where he uh, jokingly pulled us over uh, when my mom was driving us somewhere um, and, you know, made it look like kind of like, like, you know, it was like she was in trouble and she felt kind of really weird. And this, you know, guys came up around the side of the car and like, but it was just him saying hi. Um, but I think that was probably kind of the, the closest we ever, you know, got to that kind of thing. But my dad was always there. Uh, like my dad was super supportive, you know, police work, a lot of shift work and, the, and that kind of career and stuff like that. Um, you know, he always made every one of my games, all my sports, you know, showed up for everything that I needed. And my, both my parents were really great that way, uh, you know, super supportive along the way. And how did your mother decide to transition from English speaking to Mexico to learn new <laughs> language? Like, how? Yeah. I, well, one part, my parents divorced. So I mean, yeah. that obviously was a, a crucial moment, I guess, in dividing their, their directions uh, a little bit. But uh yeah, I think, you know, really, I think she went down, fell in love with this place, fell in love with the community around it. Um, and I think ultimately maybe wanted to be somewhere warmer than Canada. <laughs> <laughs> just just and, a little warmer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, she would just, she maybe found her tribe, found her people, right? I mean, much like, I guess you could take that community analogy a little bit there. Yeah. And uh, moved down. And I think part of, you know, becoming part of a community is starting to understand how that community works or how it does things. And so she's right embedded in the town and the people you work with and engage with are Spanish people. And so you have to talk their language. I mean, you have to learn how to speak it, right? So you, you know, you take, you take your time, you, you learn what you have to learn, you adjust. And, and uh, I think, you know, that's a good forcing function, right? A lot of, uh, 
you know, maybe North Americans that move to Mexico live in little gated communities with other North Americans and speak English and live their North American life the way they do. She wanted to really kind of experience a different culture. Um, and uh, yeah, I think she she quite, quite enjoys it. Have you ever thought about moving to a warmer place yourself? Oh, wow. Um, I think everybody thinks about that, but I don't know that I ever would. <laughs> Um, I think probably the, if I could, I mean, we have, we've traveled a fair bit, but I, like, I think of like, I love Spain when we go to Spain, I, I you know, absolutely enjoy it. And so I think of the warmth of Spain as being great, but then I also think of Spain as like forest fires and you're not going to get a lot of water and climate change and all the other things that are challenging about Spain too, at this point in time. And so, uh, you know, Canada is a pretty good spot. Uh, you know, we get enough warmth, but it's, you know, seasonal. If you yeah. like seasons, we get seasons here, which is good. Um, uh, you know, very much like it's like your homeland, like with the Ukraine and stuff like that, very similar, right? And like, you know, latitude, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think warmth would be great, but I think I would get tired of all the sun, if that makes sense. Like I need a little bit of cloud. I need a little bit of snow and rain. I need other things that come with that. And I don't think somewhere like a California or Spain or something like that would give me enough variety more than anything. Yeah, totally. And from what age do you remember yourself? What age do I remember myself? Um, I'm not sure that I actually know, because I think part of that is it gets clouded by what age do we remember ourselves in a photo? Yeah. Um, so I have this like really funny picture downstairs. I mean, I have pictures of myself as a little kid or a baby too, but there's one little funny picture downstairs of myself with my dad. And I'm sitting in a living room of a place my parents rented and I'm having a sip of a beer, <laughs> like a little stubby bottle. And I'm having a sip of, and it's like, that kind of is like one of those like memory moments where I kind of remember it. And there's another one of me with my, like, I guess, uh, sort of stuffy toy at that point, which was a rabbit that had lost one of its ears. And I used to hold onto the ear all the time, um, the, you know, leftover ear. And it's like, I remember that, but I don't remember like, myself in a particular moment that's a yeah it's kind of an interesting question like i guess we think of like how many things are kind of like injected in our memories versus actually you know where we become like self-aware and have have actually have a a different frame of direction on ourselves as individuals i imagine yeah. it's probably like kindergarten maybe something like that like at some point there where you're maybe a bit more self-reflective and able to kind of you know look at the world from your lens You know, there are some moments in your childhood when you're, which you are different, definitely experience only yourself, like yep. without anyone. And you can definitely like, okay, I remember that time. So what is one moment, one memory of your childhood that comes to your mind right now? Uh, I think probably like starting school. You know, like, I think if like those times, like, Like starting school was a lot of fun, right? Um, it was a really interesting time, like showing up in kindergarten, first day, meeting new friends, all the excitement and kind of energy of that was was really fun. Um, my, you know, the nature of my father's work, again, being in the police force was you you moved cities a lot. Mm. Um, and so you didn't anchor a lot as a kid in friends and friendships in a deep way. Uh, because you knew probably two or three years from then you're going to get transferred to the next city to do, you know, whatever the work was. Um, and so, uh, you know, like starting new moments like that, like school or new jobs or things like that, or like probably your, our, our pivotal anchor moments 
for me in a lot of ways, like moving into a new house, you know, that kind of stuff. It was like, it was always the newness of something that was probably uh, the anchor. Yeah. And how did you feel about leaving old friends and making new friends? Um, you know, it was always, always challenging, like I said, in the sense of the, the depth of a relationship you could build. Um, because maybe I guess in some ways is you knew you were going to eventually have to go somewhere. Mm. And so you didn't take the time to invest in making really deep friendships. You made lots of superficial friendships and maybe some that were a little bit deeper, but not deep enough because you didn't, you knew that friendship was probably going to end particularly as a child. because you didn't often keep in touch. We didn't have internet to keep email and FaceTime calls and all that kind of stuff. Right. So you know, you just, you, you kind of lost track of people, frankly, is how it kind of went, right? Like either they moved and you sent a letter a few times, you know, but maybe they disappeared and you didn't get a chance to reconnect or you never bumped into each other again, or your parents didn't keep in touch. Maybe might've been the reason too. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that that was probably, you know, I guess a, a big part of things for sure. The, uh, uh, I think latter part of, you know, my years, like let's call it junior high school and up, um, you know, we stayed in the same city, which was great. Um, and my dad eventually left the police force and stuff. And so, uh, you know, my ability and, and the friendships that I have there are friendships I still maintain today. Like, I mean, I still got really good friends from my, my high school university years, but those are, you know, because you had the, you had the time to invest in them, right? You had time to put energy toward it, much like essentially even friends I have today. I've been in the same city now for, I don't know, since 19, early 1990s, like it's, it's like very different to have like long-term friends after a whole life of maybe what he might've been very short-term superficial friends. Yeah. So am I hearing it correctly that you weren't intentionally investing in friendship, knowing that you will move and when you settled down, like you started doing it? Yeah. I, I think you're cautious <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, I mean, that's just part of this. Like, maybe like, again, maybe it's the defensive strategy you take as a kid, right? Um, yeah, so, like maybe it's okay. how you don't, you know, you know, it's not going to last. So don't put energy into it. Maybe, maybe that's why, I, you know, partially maybe some of the activities that I've done and become much more individualistic versus like, you know, group oriented or something like that. Right. I mean, I'll be, I could probably get into a psychological analysis of that, but I'm not a psychologist, but I mentioned there's lots of aspects of my traits that have come about through, you know, some of the past interactions and experiences I had that also, you know, the flip side of that also may be more adaptable. You know, I can pretty much enter a room and be okay and I can, you know, make friends quickly and it's it's fun and it's easy to do stuff. Um, and that, you know, pays a dividend in the work that I do today, pays a dividend in terms of the relationships I've got. And and that's okay. It helped me in my music career. It helped me in lots of other places. So there's been pros and cons probably to it. Who you can call your friend? Who can I call my friend? Like I, I mean, you... not names, but like... Yeah. How do you understand that it's a friend? It's not like a colleague, uh, some person from somewhere, but a friend. Um, I think it's like, it's kind of like truly the energy they provide. Like it's, there's a, uh, I guess an experience of this, of where you're, you're kind of thinking about each other. You're showing care and compassion for each other. Um, you're finding ways and opportunities to kind of consistently reach out and be part of each other's lives um, and make, make contributions. I think it's also part of that. That's maybe like a, the depth, um, you know, you get beyond the, uh, 
what do you do? Who do you, are you? What do you like? What do you like? Like there's like layers of an onion almost getting pulled back over and over and over where you begin to, you know, maybe they, they open up a bit more about some of their challenges or problems, or maybe they, uh, you know, are willing to tell you a little bit more about uh, their family and their past experiences. You get introduced to some of their friends and their network. Um, it gets, it is a slow process of building a relationship, but it's also one of, you know, a trust exchange, right? Um, and maybe the the more vulnerable that we become, the more open others become to giving us their vulnerabilities. And it you know, kind of becomes a bit of a snowball effect from there. Yeah. And from your perspective, is it possible to have to be an online friends? Uh, I think it is. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've got places where those exist. I wouldn't say there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. but um you know, I, I think back even to the days, early days of blogging, as an example, mm-hmm. there were a lot of people who I met through that medium. And if I think of even people like in Twitter too, I've got some people in Twitter that I've kind of known for a long, long time and had lots of conversations with about things. And we've kind of opened up about stuff, but we never met even a lot yeah, of cases, yeah. right? So it's like, I think it is possible. It's maybe a little bit more challenging. Um but it's also like, where do people want to meet? Uh, how do they want to engage? Um, and uh, for some people, online is a, you know, the written form for that matter is a is a easier way for which them to express things, to communicate. Um, whereas for other people, that's not a great form. Like they need something else. And so it probably depends on the individual a little bit. What animal do you associate yourself with? I, I don't. <laughs> to be honest. Being a human is enough. Okay, I understand you. Yeah, I mean, we had a cat up until COVID, uh-huh. um, but I'm I'm not a not a I cat. Get, like, sun in my eyes here, but um, I'll move over a little bit. But yeah, it's uh, I'm not sure that I associate myself to an animal. Yeah. <laughs> so, what does running mean for you? Uh. Well, running's been super huge part of my life. Uh, unfortunately, uh, like a couple years before COVID, I think it was like 2018-ish, uh, I tore the meniscus in my left knee, mm-hmm. um, which caused me to take a couple years away from running, which has been kind of weird. But uh, running overall has been uh, a few different things for me. It's one part, it's been an interesting just challenge, um, you know, to try something that, I was kind of okay at maybe kind of dripped and drabbed through my whole kind of like high school and junior high life and stuff like that. I kind of got away from it at times and came back to it later. It wasn't like this consistent, consistent thread where I always ran, you know, I wasn't always, I wasn't never like great, but I was always maybe in the like top 20% or something like that. I, or I was a good mid pack runner maybe. in in some points in my, my, my running time, um, you know, never the guy on the podium with the, you know, medals around my chest and, you know, all the trophies in the <laughs> closet and all that kind of stuff. But, but I, I think running for me has been representative of overcoming challenges in particular and proving that I can do something with persistence, with effort, with uh, a focused intent, if that makes sense. And so like, if I think of like my running journey, like, I mean, the first things were like, you know, getting out and just 
running around the block. I mean, it might've started there, right? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, I could run around the block. This is great. You know, and then it might've been like, oh, I went for a one kilometer run. Then I went for a two kilometer run. And I remember I used to like, you know, here, I kind of, you kind of got to know like, okay, if I ran to this place, that was roughly two kilometers. Hmm. Um, and then it was like, okay, if I ran from there to there, and then I walked home, okay, that was going to be roughly four kilometers. And then it was like kind of longer and longer. But um, when I started really getting into it, it was two pieces that kind of came up. One was like the, the pure enjoyment of just being outside. Mm. Um, like a, there's something about breathing fresh air um, just from, and, and being away from anything. And I don't run with music as an example. Like I really just focus on like my breath mm -hmm. and the tip tap of your toes, right. Hitting the pavement or whatever it might be. Um, and you, you kind of almost zone out. It's a super meditative. You kind of forget about everything that you've been doing, everything that's been going on in life, all the troubles, maybe all the positive things, but all the things that are keeping you busy. It's a total like kind of clear out space. And so as I progressed in my running, I got into longer distances and stuff like that. I mean, I'd go out for four and a half, five, six hours on a Saturday and I would just, somebody would go, so where did you run today? And it'd be like, uh, I, you know, honestly, I can't quite remember. Like, I, 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 I kind of remember I was on this trail and I kind of went on this place and I was on this mountain. I kind of the, the general gist, you knew, but you kind of lost a sense of time and space. Like you kind of just enjoyed the environment and you know, I guess the, the energy it was giving you and stuff like that. Right. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it, it's been one of these things I think that's also helped me deal with like the stress of work and the stress of life, it's been a great like uh, reliever on that side. And obviously being like, you know, fit and all the other kinds of things are a nice kind of benefit when you can get it on that end. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. Yeah. I wanted to ask at what point and how do you become an ultra runner? Was it just like adding, 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 or it was like five kilometers and then like, okay, I will run 45 kilometers. Yeah. Um, for me, it was, uh, probably a slow build. So I'll try to maybe in the, the classic hierarchy of runs is you do uh, maybe a 5k race. That's maybe your first kind of one you go out for. And it's like, you know, it's a good for a lot of people that might be 30 to 45 minutes of running, depending on what your pace is like. Some people might even do a 5k in an hour if they're really slow and that's okay. But it's like the distance and overcoming that distance was kind of a fun moment. And then you, you go like 5k, huh, what's this other thing called 10k? And then, you know, maybe you do a 10K race and that's, you know, maybe some people that maybe an hour, hour and a half, right? Or something like that. And you kind of go like, okay, maybe even like a fast person might do that in, you know, 40 minutes or something like that. Like, but you're, maybe that's your next stage and challenge. And then after a 10K, it was a half marathon and my wife thought it was crazy, right? Like it was like, <laughs> you know, don't go do a half marathon. That's nuts. That's ridiculous. And I was like, no, but it's over here. Start line's like a few blocks away from our house, you know, like over by the baseball stadium. Let's just go over there. We can do the race. It'll be fine. I'll finish downtown. You can meet me, you know? So before, you know, it's like a 21K, right? And then or 21.1 really is like a half marathon distance. And then you decide you're going to do a marathon. That's 42, right? And so it's like, and then... I got, I sort of got into this next stage and it was like somewhere in between around there. I also did like a 30 K trail race. So it was the transition from running on a road um, with a group of people to, to running on a forest and a trail. Right. And, and trail brings very different dynamic to it. One part is, you know, just the ecosystem of the trail itself. Uh, you know, you also got elevation gain and descent, which is very different to deal with in the course of a race. Like most, 
you know, most marathon courses are relatively flat, maybe a little bit of downhill. Um, but generally, even if they have uphills, they're not long, you know, huge climbing kind of efforts. Right. Yeah. And so I did a 30 K race in Oregon. That was my first 30 K trail race. Uh, and it was down in, uh, an area called, uh, I believe it was Depot Bay, uh, in sort of the Oregon coast. And it was this absolutely ridiculously difficult race, but it was beautiful. Absolutely. Like it was like, I walked away just like, wow, it was like, that's what I want to go do. I want to do more of these. Let's, how do I do, how do I get better at this? And I kind of like up to that point, it kind of, I guess maybe cobbled together my own training plan. Thought I was going to be all great. Got out there and just got pummeled basically. Right. Like the Hills were really hard. The heat killed me. I probably hadn't practiced nutrition. I didn't have any expertise in it. And got through it, but it was in a not bad time, but it was like, I could have been a lot better probably. Right. Um, and so my next step was to go find a coach. Mm. Um, and the coach I worked with was, uh, is based here in Vancouver. Is, uh, her name is Ellie Greenwood. And Ellie's actually, uh, you know, one of the preeminent ultra marathon runners and coaches in the world, really. Um, and uh, yeah, she just helped me with a, you know, a training plan and the execution that was sort of part of that. I built it into my work day after you sort of commute to work by running, um, you know, get up really early in the morning and I get to my desk really early, you know, all showered and ready to go. And like, it just became part of the thing. Right. And then before you know it, it was like doing your first ultra marathon, which was, you know, 50 K or greater basically on that case. Um, and uh, yeah, then you get, then you get the bug. It's kind of like, Hmm. You know, we start planning your holidays around like where you can go do a race <laughs> and uh, you know, you start figuring out like the next challenge and you start talking about other crazier things that you might go do. Like, you know, at one point, I think even pre COVID, I was looking at like going and doing a running sort of trip in uh, Japan mm. uh, before I tore my meniscus and stuff. It was like, but that kind of thing was like, that's what kind of happens. It gets, gets in your blood, right? Like everything, the people you start meeting are people that are running and you go to pubs with friends after runs and like it's the track club over here becomes your Tuesday night thing that you go socialize and like it becomes very consuming at times, right? And, and fun. But now it's like, yeah, it's now it might, you know, my mileage is much less with the torn knee. It's a little hard, more difficult to get up. Um, but uh, yeah, at some point, maybe I'll, I'll get back to, to running more more of those in my years. Is it an obsession? Uh, it certainly can become one, without a doubt. Um, I, I think for some people, they're they're incredibly defined by it. Um, and so for some runners, when that, say, injury moment comes, or when um, maybe they have to pull away from it for some other reason or something like that, it really actually hurts their definition of who they are because everything about them is enveloped in running. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I wasn't like, I had other things around it too. So it, it hurt in the sense of the loss of routine. It hurt in the sense of maybe the loss of like uh, those big moments of kind of triumph. If you want to think of it that way of like overcoming hurdles yeah. And it, it hurt definitely in the sense of not being able to exercise as much. <laughs> um, but my entire definition of who I was wasn't embedded in being a being a runner. We had a conversation with Chris Catania, and he told this phrase that you 
is it running from something or to something? So from your perspective, are you running from something or to something? Uh, it's, that's an interesting perspective. I, I don't know that that's every runner, but I think <laughs> if I was going to put myself in one of those two buckets, I'd be running to something. Um, so back to, and like towards a goal, right? Towards an outcome of some type, um, rather than away from something. Like I, I, I found it really fun to set a bold goal mm -hmm. and say, could I actually do this? Like, you know, and watch other people around you go like, you're ridiculous. There's no way you're going to do this. <laughs> Or I can't believe you're doing this, right? Like, <laughs> oh, it's, there's something about, I think maybe on my end, more of the running to than the way away from that. Tell me about your collection of beer glasses from ultramarathon trail races. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they give you those typically at most races at the finish line in a lot of cases, not all cases, but some. Um, I don't have a lot of them. I have uh, some pint glasses from some of the races in Oregon. Um, I have a nice metal kind of cup, like more like a camping style cup, I guess you could say. Uh, from one of the races I did in Washington State, which is really nice. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're kind of a memento, right? Um, they're, they're kind of a, a fun article to kind of remind you of that moment. Um, one of the other things I do often is I, I frame the race numbers from those bigger races in a small like frame. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's just a nice way to look back on an event. A lot of times I give you shirts sometimes too and stuff, but like you, you lose the shirts, they wear out. You know, it could be in any number of different things. Um, but uh, those little things are just, they're artifacts. They're like, you know, markers of like, yeah, I did this. It's an accomplishment. This is the thing I set out to do. I overcame, you know, whatever hurdles to get there, uh, you know, from a training perspective, from a effort, you know, time, whatever commitment. And uh, they're fun mementos. I mean, they, they still get used maybe for the occasional beer too. But <laughs> <laughs> Totally. You have few Twitter accounts. Uh, one of those is Benry Ideas, account yep. for remembering things of note and inspiration. So how do you get those inspirations? You know, often it's it's reading. Um, and it's, it's funny enough, it's not reading online. It's like coming across something in a moment. And so there's uh, the, 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 the sort of concept of that particular account is what they call commonplace book. Mm -hmm. um, and Some people keep those, you know, they keep them in a journal, they write them down in that way. Might have been something they just bumped into, uh, could have been a, you know, maybe a section in a book, a slight little article. It might have been a newsletter someone sent you. It could have been, I don't know, you heard someone talking in a cafe cafeteria or something like that. And it was like, oh, that was like, that's really like kind of just like, that, you know, a little light bulb moment, right? That kind of goes off. And so uh, I've, I've used that account as just a place to put those. Um, I'm, you know, I was joking actually a while back. I'd love to actually take them all out and make a book of it because um, it's actually a lot of really interesting stuff. Sometimes it's observations too that I'm having individually. So it might not be something I'm hearing from someone, but actually something that I'm thinking of. Like uh, might be in terms of how I'm engaging with people or how I'm managing someone or how I'm interacting with my son or you know a, a friend or a colleague or something like that. Just kind of a, like a lesson learned that you know, it would be good to convey to other people if they were, you know, maybe they'll get some inspiration from it. So I use that as kind of a, a place for that, right? If you want to think of it that way. How frequently do you revisit or reread what you added there? Quite often, actually. 
Um, I find it fun just to, that's a, a fun place to just scroll through because it's it's amazing how many things we maybe like uh, come across in our lives and we put them somewhere, but we don't ever kind of return to them. Um, and so it can be, again, back to that like moment, of, like you need a boost, you need a remembrance that, you know, life isn't all that bad, that like the world's not going to hell on a handcart. You know, there are some positive things that can be a place sometimes that could be that kind of free boost of energy um, and can be really fun to look at. Uh, the other piece sometimes too, is you go back because somebody's actually asked you about something. Um, or maybe needed a fun quote for a speech or you know something like that, right? And you've got like, oh, I know, I know there was like one in there, um, you know, that I'd love to be able to find, but I, you know, I don't know what it is, and and so I might go back and do that, uh, you know, that kind of effort. How do you feel about making typos? Uh, in my posts. You mean maybe in your posts, maybe in writing? I don't know. Maybe even seeing somewhere typos i'm i mean if i see a typo i'll probably fix it i'll <laughs> be honest with you <laughs> um uh you know probably the person who does edit slack messages when he, when he makes a typo so maybe a bit of a perfectionist on that side um so i like i think i'm okay with one being there but if i see it i'll probably fix it um maybe it's something like twitter you know where i think of it as like in the moment it's like if it's there it's there so if there is a typo in one of mine it's probably going to stay there Right. <laughs> exactly. How do you choose what book to read next? Oh, wow. Um, you know, surprise, same thing as like a lot of that is like something else I'm reading that then leads me down a rabbit hole, sometimes uh -huh. about a subject or might be something about a particular author or situation or something. So I'll use an example like um, one of the books I'm reading right now is a book called Invicted. Evicted, sorry. And it's uh, uh, a, a book about poverty in America. Mm -hmm. um, and it came about because I read a recent article about, with with the author in it, about the ravages of potter, poverty. And in particular, how such a rich country like the United States has so many people in poverty and what actually fundamentally underneath that causes that. Um, and this author in his first book, which I'm actually reading, which came out a number of years ago, I'd never heard of the book before, um, you know, talked about his experiences. He actually like lived with impoverished people mm. um, in Milwaukee for a, a whole long period of time and like rooming houses and, you know, and, and, and houses and watch people get kicked out of their homes and, and him being homeless and like really just going through this situation. But he also like, had gone through this in his early childhood. He got to see some of this, but didn't really understand the why behind it. And so, you know, that article combined with a bunch of other things led me down this path of reading this book, right? So it, it can be that kind of piece. The other piece sometimes comes through like a recommendation. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes it's, you know, surprising, like it might be a topical rabbit hole, I think is kind of the way I like to think of it as like, and it's my music listening is kind of like this too. Like, it's like, oh, I found this artist. I found this thing. And then before you know it, you're digging, 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 digging. And you kind of forget how many levels you've gone down. You even forget maybe some of the original things of how you ended up there. Um, and, you know, that's that's where a lot of those things come from, for sure. I, I, I get very few, surprisingly, that come from recommendations. Like, I don't really have a lot of friends that say, oh, you should go read this book. And if they do, I probably go, ah, no, no way. Like someone else has read it. I'm probably not going to read it. Like, yeah, I mean, I probably try to find more kind of 
different things. Something might kind of spur my thoughts. Um, yeah. Or, and it also might be too, like just browsing through a bookstore, right? Like, I mean, I love, I used to work in the book industry years ago. So, you know, um, working in bookstores, you kind of have this, you know, love of like digging for that little hidden treasure and stuff like that sometimes. And so it might be that kind of thing that maybe, you know, takes you off again on a, on a tangent, but often, yeah, it's me consuming one thing that leads to me leading to another thing, which leads to another path before, you know, I'd read 10 books on a topic and I didn't realize it or something like that. Do you always finish a book after you've started reading it? Always. (laughs) It drives my wife crazy actually, because Um, no matter how bad the book is, I will always finish it. Um, and it's uh, she, like if she doesn't get into the book in the first little while, it's gone, right? Like she'll put it down. But I also like to revisit a book sometimes too. Um, so sometimes books take on a different lens at different points in your life. And so it's fun to go back and reread a book occasionally. Um, you know, something that might have been even not resonant with you, you know, at some point, because maybe it was, you're, you were just tired. You were overtaxed. You're busy with life. You know, like it wasn't at, at that moment, it didn't make sense for you. Um, it sometimes can be a great opportunity to go back and relook at some of those like classics or classic literature is a great example of that. Right. Like when yeah. I was in university, did I want to read another classic piece of literature after university? Probably not. Right. Like, Um, but you know, occasionally is a piece of classic literature interesting to come back to. Yes, it is. And you can maybe appreciate it with a different lens. Is it only about good books or you revisit bad books too? Oh, the bad books too sometimes. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'll use a really great example. Um, there's one in my, uh, commonplace stuff on, on Twitter there, the Benry ideas thing. Uh, uh, it's a quote from evil Knievel. Um, where he says there are three mysteries to life, where we came from, why we do what we do and where we are going to go. Uh, and that came from reading this evil Knievel biography and evil Knievel, if you know evil Knievel, but when I was a kid in the seventies, he was like the guy jumping the grand Canyon on motorbikes. And it was like, he was the big thing, right? He was on like wild world of sports every Saturday. And everybody used to love all the stunts and craziness that evil Knievel was. But I re- picked up this book a while back and I just couldn't get into it. It was like a biography. I'm not a big biography reader. Typically, I find them kind of a bit pedantic at times. And But this was a really fun read to go through. But it also gave me a completely different lens on this person you thought was really cool. It actually turned out to be quite an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> like he just really wasn't very nice. Um, he was a mean, evil man. Uh, you know, who was not great to his family and not great to his kids and, you know, stole money from people and was kind of like a crook in a lot of ways. And so, you know, it was neat to go back and revisit that book in a different lens, right? I mean, maybe you, as a kid, you'd propped him up as a hero and as an adult, you looked at him in a different place. What is your favorite ice cream? Any. <laughs> I got it. Uh, I I absolutely love ice cream. Um, you'll probably find some Twitter shots occasionally, maybe on my tweets about ice cream. But yeah, I like. Uh, I even make my own ice cream if I can. Um, yeah. But my favorite one right now is actually a vegan chocolate one that's made at a local ice cream place called Ernest Ice Cream. Um, and I, if I have to have ice cream, I actually. It's funny, I'm not like vegan by by nature, but it's so good. Um, they've like cracked the secret code on chocolate ice cream as far as I'm concerned with that one. And are you eating ice cream 
always or seasonally? Oh, no, I'd eat it every day if I could. If my <laughs> if my if my fifty year old plus body would would like it more, I'd I'd probably eat it more often. But um, yeah, like life's too short to not enjoy ice cream. <laughs> yeah, totally. And <laughs> I saw your post oh, in two thousand twenty that after a tough few months of illness, we had to put our cat down. Yeah. So how did you feel that day? Uh, I mean, I was I was sad, but like, I mean. Like our cat, you know, just wasn't holding food. So it was like, you know, unfortunately, like better for the cat maybe at that stage than anything. Um, but uh, it's funny, like animals have been a big part of my my life. And we had this cat when we moved into this house mm. um, and it was adopted and was had a, I guess for lack of better word, like a fun personality. And so uh, losing that personality was a little bit weird. And I mm -hmm. felt like, uh, you know, I've got a couple of pictures of where the cat in the last couple of days kind of maybe almost like knew that he was on his last days. And so kind of spent time like coming by and visiting and hanging out in my office. I've got a shot of him kind of like sunning in the sun here off the windows. And like, yeah, it's, you know, I guess interesting in that side. But yeah, I mean, it, Animal was a, a moment in my life rather than maybe something I've been kind of defined around. So it was, it's, it's a vacancy. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I think any person that dies in your life, eventually you kind of pass on and you move on and they had an influence in a moment, but they're no longer there every day. And maybe you don't think about them every single day until someone like yourself pops up on a question or you see a picture somewhere. Right. Yeah. Do you have animals now? No, none, none. And probably no plans to get one either. How come? Um, I think like one part, like we were talking about this actually on the weekend, my wife and I was like, it'd be fun to have a dog as an example, but dog is like having another kid. I don't really want another <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, and, you know, if I think of a cat, it's like, yeah, it's great. But, you know, then I got to say, like, it's just more another thing to take care of. And I don't know that I actually at this stage want uh, more things to take care of. Yeah. Are you the one who usually takes care of animals? No, I think we, we all kind of split that up pretty well in our house. Yeah. I'm asking because in my family, I'm the one. So <laughs> <laughs> there's always somebody, right? Who gets the, uh, the short stick, you could say. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's all, it's usually a kid who wants an animal and then you are who <laughs> doing all the stuff for this animal. <laughs> Yeah, the kid. Yeah, the kid never does it, right? Yeah, the kid wants the dog, and yeah, that's why we never got a dog. I think in some ways, um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think we've we've always kind of split those responsibilities up pretty well. How many times you've been asked to watch Love Actually, and how many times you really watched it? <laughs> uh, I get asked to watch that before every Christmas. My wife and my son love it. Uh, and I have watched it literally every Christmas since I've been married. So like, that's, yeah, it's, it, uh, did I ever watch it before? Did I ever enjoy it? Not really, but it's, I guess, probably grown into a habit now more than anything. Um, not quite to the point where maybe I know every piece of dialogue, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely ingrained in the tradition of Christmas. Yeah. Close to it. Are you enjoying it now? Uh, you know, there's still little moments that are kind of funny. Um, 
uh, you know, I like the the Hugh Grant thing, getting out of the car at the end, trying to find the house was pretty funny kind of moment, just how he interacts with people. But a lot of it, it just it, it's so sappy and and gross. Like it's just <laughs> it is what it is, right? <laughs> but still, do you have your maybe favorite quote out of this movie? No. No. Okay. Finish the sentence. A group of product management folks entered the bar. And they all try to figure out who's going to what drink what drink. I don't know. I guess something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just it's just question, you know. It, based on your post, if you got a group of product management folks together, what would be their topics you'd like to talk about? So from your perspective, what is the topic you'd like to talk about in this meeting? Uh, with a group of product managers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always just, I guess, like curious on the underlying core challenges that they have in this role. Like, so, I mean, I, I came from a product management background prior to this. I work with product managers every day in our community. Um, and my space obviously is super meta because we also work for a company that makes software for product managers, right? So it's like, um, you know, product management is kind of the underlying theme and everything in that. But I'm always curious about like the challenges they have. It's a very difficult job. I, you know, I read a piece the other day, you know, where someone had kind of put up with the idea, sort of the concept of product management being like a conductor of an orchestra and having to get all the musicians essentially, you know, to play in the same key and also produce something lovely in the end that comes out of that. And that's one, you know, interesting analogy. But I also think of like, you know, product managers are also juggling only a lot of different parts of that. You know, they're dealing with the syncopation of different teams and the pace in which they might interact with each one another. And they've got, you know, lots of personality dynamics they've got to deal with in different people. And they're kind of the, you know, influencer in a lot of ways of action and direction, but they don't really have a lot of authority over the people they're working with. And, and they're, they're really, you know, part of an ecosystem. Um, and so, I'm always I'm always really interested, I guess, in just like that core underlying, like where is your pain, <laughs> um, and then what can I do uh, in some way to help you solve that pain in the context of my job, right? That's uh, like what's the best thing that I can produce or create that's going to help you be better at that job. Do you always can help? Uh, I wouldn't say that I always can. No, no, I think there's places where I can't for sure, and. Uh, maybe that's the benefit of a community in some places, right? Where like the community can help, like who else can help? Is there somebody else with a lens on this or something? Sometimes there isn't too. Like it's just, um, uh, you know, the nature of, I think a lot of the work that we do, whether it's product manager or other work in general is, uh, it's hard to sometimes quantify that into a set of specific actions that everyone can take. And that if they follow this exact playbook, the outputs will match you know, essentially the outputs that you have. You know, there's so many other dimensions to that of like how you show up as a person, how you interact with people, um, who are the people you are working with, you know, like all those things can all play into positive outcomes, and negative outcomes, right? Um, and uh, you, you won't always have someone or the, or the answer to, to the particular problem that people have. And how do you feel about giving an advice for somebody? How do I feel about giving you a, I, that's an interesting one, I think, because part of it is like, I'm happy to give advice, but I always put a caveat around it, I guess, of like, it is just that advice. 
um, you know, put your own lens in this input, use this, how this information, however you want. Um, and I think probably the other side of that too, is there's always the classic like imposter syndrome that goes in that, right? Like, is my advice good advice? Do I have enough experience to give you this advice? Is my lens valuable? Whatever. Like, so I just, I'm more like, I guess when a lot of people ask me for advice, it's like, I'm there to listen. I'm there to give you a perspective, but I encourage you to get other people's perspectives as well, because mine's not the only one. Yeah. You know, Scott, yeah. I wish to have the sky as the limit to our conversation, but time is the limit. So okay. let's jump to the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> Scrabble or book? Scrabble. Cooking or eating? Cooking. What are your favorite color and song? Blue. Um, favorite song. I'm gonna say At Last, which was by Etta James, which was my wedding song. If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? Vision. What kind of vision? Like be able to see through things. <laughs> Who do you learn from in the community world? Name one person. Uh oh wow, one person. Can I can I just say you? <laughs> no, it's cheating. <laughs> um, one person, one person. Um, right now, I'm learning a lot from Demario Bell, uh, who works at Caltramp. I'm really enjoying some of the stuff he's doing and uh, learning a lot about how he empathizes and, and works with his community. Name two people who I should definitely have this conversation with. Uh, do they have to be community people? Connected with community. Okay. Um, I think you should talk to Esther Trapendo. Uh, she works at Amplitude. She's helping to do the growth kind of marketing side of Amplitude's new community. I think she's doing some really, really great stuff. And I would suggest you talk to tomorrow. Got it. Yeah. Is there one question that I definitely should have asked you, but didn't? Hmm. Huh. I don't know. Hobbies, maybe? <laughs> last Famous last food I ate? I don't know. Like, <laughs> Okay, there are two questions. So what hobbies do you have? <laughs> uh, my other hobbies outside of this, uh, running thing and the music thing, uh, largely are cooking. Uh, I'm a huge fan of cooking and uh, really quite interested right now in cocktails. Uh, and like the mixology side of things and the experience that's sort of part of that. It's a really interesting craft kind of space, you know, a lot of uh, uh, interesting stuff, but also a lot of foundations that are really uh, quite unique. And what was your recent dish you prepared and uh, enjoyed it? Recent dish I prepared. Let me just go back. You know, we've got the Slack channel. Uh, Slack channel with... With food. Yeah, we call okay. it talk recipes. We like to post stuff in there of what we're eating nice. um, and making. But I think, yeah, last thing I made that was really interesting there was a pork loin with a mustard and cream sauce with roasted yams. And I did this slow cooked fennel that was just unbelievable. Like I'd never made, I've used fennel like often in salads, like chopped it up with Parmesan and lemon juice and stuff. And I like the taste of that sort of anise, but it was like really slowly cooked sauteed. Uh, for a long period of time with a little bit of uh, uh, like stock and stuff like that added over time. And it was, it 
changed the complete flavor profile of this dish. It was so weird how it like became like from this licorice anise to this like almost like citrusy, warm <laughs> and sweet kind of nice, nice compliment to the other dishes. So yeah, that's maybe the last thing I made. Yeah, where do you get recipes for things you try? Yeah, yeah, I, I love I love cooking. It's, I mean, it's so much fun. And where where are those recipes? Are you creating recipes yourself, or are you finding them somewhere um, on the internet, or it's advice? It's, or... it's a mix. We've got a huge giant shelf of cookbooks in our house, <laughs> um, so some stuff I go back to that. Other times I'll do something like, you know, uh, maybe like type in the ingredients I've got in my fridge in Google and see what I can make. Um, but the other side too is often it's just through the practice of craft like the practice of the craft of cooking if that makes i'm at a point now where it's like if i've got a well-stocked pantry some protein in the house and some vegetables i can make dinner no problem like i don't need the inspiration um like i feel like i've kind of gotten to the like understanding of the craft well enough um you know the salt the fat the acid and the heat you know is kind of the example um i know how to combine each of those things to make a flavorful meal um and Uh, I can, you know, I feel like I could be on one of those cooking shows where they give you the the mystery dish that you pull out, you know, <laughs> it's like, you got 30 minutes to make, you know, dinner for four people that's got these five crazy things. And it's like, yeah, no problem. Like I could do that. Here's what I'd make. Um, so yeah, I like, I, that's kind of the fun part, but it, it's fun going back to a cookbook sometimes, you know, simply for the inspiration, right? Like, or trying something different or maybe, Uh, you know, pulling a different ingredient out that maybe you don't normally work with, like you, you go and buy or something like that, or trying a different culture cuisine. Um, you know, it's really fun too that way to deep dive. Where is your love to cooking from? Uh, I think my love of cooking is because of my love of eating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's probably it. But like my wife's a fantastic cook. Um And I, you know, I had grandparents that cooked and stuff like that too. So I think being around food and the social aspect of food too is so important. So like the having like a great meal with a great group of people is like can be transformational, right? Like yeah. in terms of how it works and stuff like that. So yeah, but it definitely probably comes from my love of eating more than anything. It's like maybe a, a bit self-serving. <laughs> I understand. You know, it's a great topic for the volume two. So I feel like we have a lot of things to talk about more and. <laughs> For now, thank you, Scott, very much for your time. And it was so nice to finally meet you, let's say, kind of in person and to get deeper into your life because I enjoy you so much as an expert and you're a very outgoing person in communities. You're always there to help. You're always there to share your experience. And, you know, always when I'm talking to with people, I have some picture in my mind. Yeah. And... You're even better than picture I had. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you very much for being so open, for being so... I had a lot of fun with you talking to you today, a lot of love, a lot of fun. So Let's, let's, uh, let's reverse this sometime. Maybe I can interview you. I'd, I'd love to. Just yeah. when you're ready, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So, Scott, thank you very much and see you in the community world. All right. See you later. And thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, hit the like button or five stars and share it with your friend. That's it. We're done. See you in the next episode.